Sisters and brothers in Christ, there are times in life that are very intensive. Intensive because there is a lot of work to do, like preparing for a big assembly, or intense because I am struggling with a serious issue in life that takes all my energy, or intense because I have to take an important decision. When I experience such times, two strong and somehow contradictory feelings emerge in me. My first feeling often is, I need a break. This is just too much, this is too intense, I need a break, I need to rest. But almost in the same second, there is a second feeling saying, I don't want to be interrupted. I need to get through this, I need to get through this in order to get out of this, I don't want to be disturbed. Now, the woman appeared in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and interrupts the peaceful Sabbath rest. The people have come to the synagogue to take their regular weekly break, to listen to the words of scripture and to the teaching of the rabbi. The guest speaker on that day is Jesus. So everybody expects a spiritually uplifting sermon. They want to take a break from the troubles of everyday life. Now, these people, as we all human beings, we need breaks. This is how we are created. Our body, our mind, our soul, it, all of them, they need breaks. And the secular language of work-life balance is, in my view, almost a little too nice to articulate this need and the struggle for breaks. But there are also these other moments when a break seems like an interruption that only makes things more complicated. We want breaks to be part of the rhythms that we control. So if a break disrupts a schedule that I have in mind, such break seems more like a problem than a help. No doubt. The appearance of this woman in the synagogue on Sabbath day is a disruptive break. Her presence is an intervention, somehow an intrusion into this typical and much needed day of rest. But it is very obvious, this woman not only needs a break of a, a restful day, it's not just about keeping her troubling spirit in her quiet, just for a little while. She needs another kind of break. She needs a break that liberates her. Because she is troubled by a spirit which has left visible and painful signs and marks on her own body, she is bent over, she is crippled, her soul suffers, her body suffers. And it's like each muscle is bent, is contracted. It's like she needs to protect herself, 
to protect herself from further attacks. Her soul is held captive by the spirit and the body is in bondage. We don't know what happened 18 years ago. Something terrible must have happened. The fact that the precise number of years are mentioned suggests that it was not just a slow impairment, but there must have been a specific experience which from then on defined the life of this woman. And it feels like that experience seemed to be almost public knowledge. Everybody in the village probably knew about it, about what happened 18 years ago. The woman cannot speak about it. Nobody speaks about it. But the woman embodies it. If you look at her, you see it. The Indonesian woman theologian Septemi Lakawa has developed a theological approach that articulate, articulates the wounds of trauma and looks for ways to embody healing. Now Septemi Lakawa underlines the need to take rupture seriously. It's not just a break, it's a rupture. And moreover, what we need to do is, is not only to take the rupture in the life of this woman seriously, but to realize that this rupture should lead to a rupture in our ordinary theological discourse. We say so many important things about God. We articulate affirmations and convictions. And in principle, there's nothing wrong with it. This is what we should do as people of faith. But at the same time, if such a posture of affirming makes us immune against the rupture embodied by this woman, then something has gone wrong. The affirmations that we speak, speak should not make us immune. On the contrary, we need to realize that the rupture that we want to push aside call us to see what really is, to see the bent over body and to see this woman. On that day in the synagogue, Jesus looks to the woman and he sees her. And this is the moment that changes everything. Jesus sees her. This seeing breaks the silence. This breaks the power of the negative spirit. And Jesus then simply states, woman, you are set free from your ailment. And this is the inbreaking of God's presence that liberates the woman. As Jesus looked to the woman, it was clear that her body not only needed rest, it needed restitution. She needed a strong experience that liberates her from that other experience that defined her life up until then. So this new moment of liberation has become now the defining moment for her life. So for this woman, this is the day that the Lord has made. This day of rest has been transformed into a day of liberation.
And her liberation finds visible expression in her ability to stand upright and to burst into overwhelming praise of God. So she's no longer bent over, no longer silent. This woman now embodies joy and she now can live out her full potential. And then, joy creates strong reactions. As she bursts out in joy, the leader of the synagogue bursts out in anger. He is indignant, he is furious, because he sees the appearance of the woman as violating the rule to keep the Sabbath. He says, there are six days on which work ought to be done, come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. Do you see there are actually two twists in this one sentence? This man interprets the action that has just happened as curing, while actually Jesus spoke about liberation. He said, you are set free. So Jesus explains that this suffering is caused by bondage. And the leader does not want to see the key point of this action. Jesus is not only a skillful physician who cures sickness. Yes, he is that. But he is also the liberator. He addresses the root causes of suffering through his transformative compassion. Now, the second twist in this sentence is that in the leader's mindset, curing is human work to be done on a workday. And this leader does not want to acknowledge that the liberation that happens on this very day is not just human work. It's a divine intervention. Now, Jesus challenges the rhetoric of this leader. He unveils that the arguments which he tries to use to defend the keeping of the Sabbath are shallow. Jesus points to the fact that on Sabbath always some human work is being done, as, for example, the animals need to be attended to. Note that Jesus does not abolish the commandment to keep the Sabbath. That's not in question. But he challenges the leader's rhetoric around keeping the Sabbath, both from a practical and a theological perspective. If the Sabbath rest this God-given break of the week is defended in such a way that it hinders the inbreaking of God's presence, of God's liberating power, then something is wrong. So the meaning of the Sabbath and of the rest on Sabbath day is not only that it helps me to function reasonably well on the following working day. The meaning of the Sabbath rest is that I give space to God and to let God transform me, to let God restore me to full humanity. All those things that hold me captive, that make me low, that put me down, are identified and transformed. We need this inbreaking of God's presence so that we can stand upright, that we can joyfully praise God. Jesus promises that oppressive experiences no longer have the power to define who we are, no longer bend our scope of action. And the crowd, 
The crowd that is in the synagogue on that day is drawn into this movement of liberation, even though they themselves have not experienced the same suffering as the woman has experienced, they become part of the liberation dynamic and they join in feeling this profound joy. So this liberation dynamic consists of two movements. It's clear and obvious. Empowerment for those who have been downtrodden and dismantling of any practice, rhetoric or ideology that is oppressive. This is the gospel, clear and strong. In exactly 10 days from now, the 11th Assembly of the World Council of Churches will begin. More than 4,000 people from churches and partners from around the world will gather in Karlsruhe, Germany, to pray together, to sing together, to listen to one another, and to discern together. The theme for the Assembly is Christ's love moves the world to reconciliation and unity. Now, I expect that this assembly will have wonderful moments of celebration, of fellowship, of joy. And at the same time, there will be a lot of debates and discussions. In the preparation towards the assembly, one of the points that has come up quite strongly is that we need to make sure that we do not speak too quickly or too easily about reconciliation and unity. Of course, we as churches are called to foster reconciliation and unity. And yes, even more, we as churches are called to embody reconciliation and unity. But we cannot talk about reconciliation and unity without talking about restorative justice. We need to give serious attention to the rupture, the wounds, the disruption that people have experienced through acts of violence, through injustice, through discrimination. Now, with regard to my personal preparations for the assembly, my initial intention was to try to briefly write down stories of hope that I hear during the assembly, each day one story. So that after the assembly, when I speak about the assembly, I will not only refer to the official documents, but that I have, like a treasure, these personal stories of hope. But after I worked through the gospel text for today, I somehow slightly shifted the assignment to myself. I will now look for stories of rupture that might seem a little odd. And of course, you might say, well, actually, if you go to the assembly, division and tension it will be everywhere. So you don't need to intentionally have an assignment to yourself. Um, to, you have it in front of your eyes. Yes, yes, but I don't want to look at tensions or issues. I want to look at people. I want to look at people who embody rupture. And I will try to see the people and not the issue. I will try to hear their voice and see their agency. We just sang this song from Namibia, and thank you very much for leading us in this. It says, the love of Jesus, our Lord, is incredibly amazing. It grabbed us out of our old ways and wholly renewed us all. And now we are going to sing a second song from the assembly. This one is from Geraldo Obermann. It says, 
Christ can move the world to reconcile it with unity that can make the broken whole. Paparapa. Amen.